Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to the Highly Relevant Podcast. My name is Jack Rico, and thank you for downloading episode 18. There's a lot to cover this week. I break down the Oscar nominations with New York One film critic Neil Rosen. We'll talk snubs, surprises, and go over the top categories. Also, I'll tackle the lack of visibility of Latinos in Hollywood films with my good friend Tara McNamara. Why are we so invisible when we should be at the forefront of film and pop culture? And finally, I discuss Trump. The Wall, our New Mexico feud, and sanctuary cities. Will cities abide by the new immigrant proposals? Miami already has, and that is bad news for Latinos. But first, we'll begin with some Oscar talk. The 2017 Oscar nominations came out this week, and La La Land scored an unbelievable 14 Oscar nominations. That's tying a record. My good friend Neil Rosen from New York One helps me make sense of the hits and misses of the principal categories. How long have you been in New York One, Neil? Next month, 24 years. Get out of here. <laughs> That's something. Holy. Was, you know what? I never realized you were there that long. I was six years old when I started. <laughs> and now you're 30. I was, I was reviewing a Disney film. Hey, seriously. <laughs> how, how did. Uh, no, I've. It's rare to hear anyone say that they've been at a job for 24 years, especially a film critic. Yeah, you really don't. You don't even see film critics today, let alone that. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, literally, every channel in New York had a film critic. Channel 2 had Dennis Cunningham and, uh, and Joel Siegel, and, uh, who later went to Channel 7. Then you had Channel 4 was... Um, Jeffrey Lyons. Yeah, but before that, you had a woman by the name of Katie Kelly. And then Channel 5 had Stuart Klein, and then Channel 7 had Joel Siegel. He moved over there. And then Channel 9 had Pat Collins. And Channel 11, I forgot the woman's name, but there was a blonde woman that was... Oh, P, uh, Channel 9 had uh, Pia Lindstrom. So Pia Lindstrom was on Channel 4 for a while. There was tons of critics. Channel 9 had Pat Collins. Channel 11 yeah, had... not to mention the networks right. that Today Show had... Uh, Gene Shallot. Gene Shallot, right. Yeah, and then obviously you had Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel. Yeah, there were a ton of TV, there were a ton of movie critics on television, and now there are not many. So um, I'm, 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 I guess I'm lucky. <laughs> so you, you had a chance to see the Oscar nominations this uh, year. Uh, I was on your podcast. We were talking. Uh, we kind of dedicated the whole show to the Oscar nominations. Uh, let me begin with uh, talking a little bit about your snubs and surprises. W what were some of the big key takeaways that you felt like it, it, it was out of context, just didn't make any sense to you? Well, um, the first thing right off the bat that didn't make any sense to me 
was the way the Oscar nominations were presented by <laughs> yes. ABC and the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences. Or whatever, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for years, and they usually stand up in a you know in a, in a room at five in the morning LA time with a bunch of press there and publicists, and they get the president of the Academy and some past Oscar winner. Like, here's, you know, Julianne Moore to read it. And they, it's a laundry list. And they read it off, and they do all the major categories first, and all the news agencies and stations can get it. And then if you want to hang out, they'll give you all the, you know, smaller categories. But this year, they did, like, a show, a produced show. And if you're picking it up live on television, which is what we were doing at New York One, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was like, you know, different stars talking about, you know, what the Academy Awards means to them as a show, and then they would do a major category, then they would do all the minor categories, and we'll be right back after this. It, it, was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so, from a production standpoint, it was horrible because we were picking up this live feed, and it was there. So, so right off the bat, you know, that, that was a mess. And then they got it wrong. I mean, they leaked the information before they even talked about it on the air on their website, and they said that. Um, Amy Adams got a nomination for Best Actress for And that Tom Arrival. Hanks got it for Sully, right. Right, and Tom Hanks got it for Sully. And then I'm on the air with the, two, with, the, with, the, with the anchor person and another person, and she said, the other person goes, well, I said, well, you know, any snubs? And I go, well, yeah, Amy Adams got snubs for Best Actress. And she goes, uh, no, she got nominated. <laughs> right, because it was Hanks right. Got nominated. What's the What's the alternative here? I mean, we go back to the original, you know, these... Actors and directors stumbling in, half asleep, you know, going through the yes. words and the motions. Isn't yes. that bad TV? Yes. No, because, you know, if you think about it, you know, most other organizations, the Critics' Choice people, which is the BFCA, which I belong to, I believe you're a member of that I'm a too. member of it too, yes. Um, the Golden Globes. Nobody has a television show that, you know, a live announcement of their nominations. You know, I think they should just put out a press release at a certain time. If you want to do it a little more dramatically, yeah, you could do a live feed and pick it up. That's cool. But this was just, this is just a show <laughs> for Good Morning America on ABC. And it was a bad show with that, you know, with uh, Michael, uh, um, with the, Michael Strahan, 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 and a bunch of other people and, it's just a mess. I, I, I was very unhappy with that. So, well, yeah, I don't mind. Read a launch list. That's fine. You know what I mean? Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the best picture category, and I want to kind of sort of uh, go through the top categories with you and see what, what you think uh, works and doesn't work. Let's talk. Let's let's start with best picture. You got Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hitting Figures, La La Land, with 14 nominations uh, today, tying a record. Lion, uh, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Was there a particular film you wanted to see in here? Okay. Well, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna answer that. Two, I'm gonna answer that two ways. The first way I'm gonna answer that is at the end of the year, I do a 10 best list of my favorite movies of the year. Okay. And when it gets down to the Oscars, there's been so many award shows already that have preceded the Oscars. You know, in the old days, there were four there were four shows. You know, there was like the Oscars for movies and Tonys for Broadway and the Grammys for music and the Emmys for television. Now there's a million award shows. So when you get to the Oscars, it's the last award show. And even though it's the biggest award show, it's anti-climactic, um, you know, and uh, climactic, climatic, climactic. Climactic, yeah. Climactic, thank you. So... 
to me, it's not really what I want. It to me, it's just basically handicapping a horse race, you right. know, or like a, a Vegas or Atlanta City, you know, putting <laughs> a bet down on something. I mean, it, 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 you know, not not monetarily, but just it's more like I'm handicapping and what I think is going to win. So I have no real uh, stake in the race. I mean, I was happy to see Hidden Figures get nominated for Best Picture. I didn't think that was going to happen, but people really like the movie. I like the movie, and it's a crowd pleaser, and it's also making a lot of money. It was uh, two weeks in a row, I think it was like number one at the box office. So I'm glad to see that. It's also historically very interesting. So I think that's the Best Picture of the Year, certainly not. But I was glad to see that it got honored by getting a Best Picture nomination. Listen, I, um, I think there's three movies that I would have liked to have seen in here. Number one, Birth of a Nation. Uh, to yeah, me, well, Birth of a Nation was on my, you know, was on my, I thought it was one of the best pictures of the year. And, absolutely. But I think Birth of a Nation was a very good movie. Um, I think it was one of the best of the years. I think it's a year. I think it deserved to be nominated. Um, it told a very interesting historical story about the first, um, you know, slave rebellion in the United States led by, you know, the character played by Nate Parker, who he also wrote and directed the film. And because of that controversy, yes, it was completely, you know, snubbed. And, uh, you know, I just, the movie is the movie. I don't even want, I don't want to get into the... Right, the character issues of, of everybody right, else. I mean, if you step into a movie and you don't know any of the backstory about the guy yeah, who you're made gonna the movie, treat it, just look at the movie. Yeah, just look at the yeah. movie. Now, moving on over to actor, best actor in a leading role, we got Casey Affleck, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, and Denzel Washington in Fences. Uh, snub to me, I don't know if you agree, Tom Hanks from uh, Sully? Some people love that performance. I, I It's not a showy performance. It's a nuanced performance. It's a measured performance. How, yeah, I, I think it was a good performance. I don't know if it was an Academy-worthy nominated performance. Um, I don't think it's like, wow, what an oversight. Um, I mean, do you think out of the five nominees in there, is there something that... Yeah, I, like Ryan really Gosling, absolutely. Uh, Ryan Gosling, when we talk about the best actor of the year, we're seeing some sort of particular monologue like Leonardo DiCaprio and... A Wolf of Wall well, Street. I don't think he sings well. It's a, it's a musical. He doesn't I don't sing think he well. He doesn't dance well. well. Look, I think the movie no. overall is fantastic, but we're isolating Ryan Gosling's acting performance in that movie, and I don't think it's worthy of a Best Actor nod. Uh, Andrew Garfield, um, you can say yes. Denzel to me is by well, Andrew far the Garfield best. got nominated for two movies. Let's be honest. You want to talk about the politics of the Oscars. He had a leading role in the movie Silence, the Martin Scorsese film, and he had the leading role in Hacksaw Ridge. And those are two outstanding performances, even though I didn't really care for the movie Silence. And, um, you know, and I even had some problems with Hacksaw Ridge. Well, Hacksaw Ridge really becomes incre- incredibly engaging is in, in, in the second half of the film, where he's saving people left and right. Movies. It's completely two different movies. For the first half of Hacksaw Ridge, it's like... Uh, Jethro Bodine yeah, it's like a from the love Beverly story. Hillbillies of Gomer Pyle, you know, is like <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. a conscientious objector, but, the, but he's just a romance and all gala shucks and I want to give blood again. So oh, I can get yeah. My girl. He's like, he's, he's, he's an idiot. Yeah. You know, and then the second part of the movie, that whole first half is almost dismissed entirely, and it's an action movie, which is really overkill, pun intended, on action, where it's nonstop wall to wall action. And yes, he is saving people, but I mean, as I was directing the movie, but what do I know? I mean, I would have 
put the two stories together and maybe had him on the battlefield saving people, then flash back to the first part of the story, instead of being inundated with barrage of nonstop action in the second half and kind of like a dopey love story. Right, and then you've got Casey you Affleck and Denzel Washington. And to me, this is a this is where the 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 real race is is between these two. Well, that's a great that's a great performance. That is a I think Denzel did a great performance. That whether he you know I think Casey Affleck, which and I don't think he's really deserving. Although I think he's the odds-on favorite to win Best Actor. I think Denzel is a great performance. I do, and I think I think more than that, Neil. I think that 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 this is a war between the nuanced actor and the nuanced performer, and the more of the loud. Uh, performance here, which was Denzel's. He was in people's faces. He was. Uh, he was great. Yeah, but he you know why they didn't give him? And he was passionate they gave and him a, fervent. Well, well, he he got a nomination, but he's not going to win. And the reason he's not going to win is because he's won twice before. And as bizarre as that sounds, that's that's really my feeling on the matter. And that's why I don't think Natalie Portman will win for Jackie be, oh, because man. because 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 she wins. And I'm not saying that she's. Well, I thought it was a great performance, but I don't really like the movie. Um, but Jack, let's go through but, the actress and, category so we can talk about Natalie Portman. It's Natalie Portman for Jackie, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, Emma Stone, well, she's automatic. Land. Meryl Streep is automatic. Yeah, it's automatic. It's automatic. Isabel uh, Huppert uh, for Elle, and then Ruth Nega for Loving. Now, to me, the front runner here, without question, is Natalie Portman. I don't know how anybody can argue against that. And Ali Portman's the best performance in that category, unquestionably, as far as I'm concerned. Because Meryl Streep... Emma Stone's going to get it. Yeah, M- Meryl Streep was an autopilot. Meryl Streep's not getting it. And the one who's getting it is Emma Stone, and it's the same rationale and logic that you're using for uh, Ryan Gosling. They just, they're just going to, like, you know, get all... all <sighs> Okay. All jumping up on cartwheels over this La La Land, which I which I think is a decent movie, but it's an overrated movie. And uh, Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, and this is kind of a tribute to old Hollywood musicals. I think La La Land is a singular movie this year. There's nothing like it. Uh, I do want to talk about Ruth Negga for a second. Look, I just saw this movie over the weekend, and I thought that uh, both Joel Edgerton's and Ruth Negga's performances were very quiet. And we go back to that Casey Affleck nuanced sort of, you know, performance where I don't necessarily, I mean, look, you can argue a hundred ways and a hundred angles how nuanced acting is powerful, but it doesn't beat the sizzle and the raw emotion of someone passionate on film. And for her to be getting this plays politics to me because the Oscars are so white campaign was so heavy that they felt that they couldn't make this whole category fully white. So they introduced somebody there, unfortunately and regrettably in Ruth Nega, but you could have picked, you know, maybe someone else like to Jari P. Henson uh, for the lead role from Hidden Figures. I mean, it is nominated Best Picture. I agree. I think Taraji P. Henson was a much better performance than the Ruth Nega performance. Uh, I have problems with loving altogether with the movie itself. I mean, I think that, you know, that that film, although historically very, very interesting, um, what they don't... I didn't feel really the love between these two... the connection, the love between this couple. I think that should have been brought out more on the screen. And maybe I don't think it's really the actor's fault as much as the direction. And then there was the whole country was going through a civil rights transformation. And the way it shows you when they come down with the Supreme Court verdict that they made interracial marriage, you know, legal, the Supreme Court voted that in. I they kind of the movie implies that it was because of the this couple the lovings when they're not showing you all this radical change that was going on in the country in, in, at that time in the sixties. Right. I mean 
the gay rights movement, the civil rights movement, you know, the hippie uh, anti-Vietnam movement. That was kind of just waved off. an uproar, and it was just kind of like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I thought dramatically that movie could have been really shown in a better way. There's actually a documentary called The Loving Story that, 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 that plays better. Far superior to the movie in, in explaining that story. Well, and then the last category that I want to talk to you about, Neil, is directing. We got uh, Dennis Villeneuve in Arrival, uh, Mel Gibson in Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Chazelle in La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan from Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins, Moonlight. Uh, who do you think is winning here, and who do you think should have been in here that isn't? Okay, well, I'm going to answer it a different way. I'm going to tell you what I think should win, and I'm going to tell you what will win. I think Moonlight is. I think Moonlight is fascinating from a directorial standpoint. I mean, I think that the director of that movie, Barry Jenkins, right? Yep, Barry Jenkins. Okay, okay, Barry Jenkins. You've got three stories going on of the same kid who's living in this urban area in Miami, who's struggling with his sexuality. Um, you know, he's gay, but he, and, and it's very tough to be gay. It's not in that kind of environment to be accepted in that urban environment. You have three different actors playing that young man, and I think it's a very innovative thing, and I think it's unlike anything that I've really kind of seen this year. Well, uh, first of all, in terms of black cinema, no no black movie has ever been like this. Done by a black director with a black... You don't see black films this refined, this sophisticated... And this yes, innovative, it's, 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 it's a storytelling and innovative and innovative and unusual. But what's going to win? Slam dunk, guaranteed. Bet you anything you want. Damien Chazelle wins for La La Land. And look, it's a good directorial job. I mean, he has them, you know, on wires floating through the uh, planetarium in in, you know, in Los Angeles. He has that opening scene where they're all singing out of the cars on the highway in L.A. You know, but but you know. Hollywood lost Hollywood, as I'm saying. That that's going to win. To me, look to at me the nominations the movie got. To me, the, not stop the movie. To me, the best director. If you had to just judge on flat out Can director, I guess what you're going to say? Can I guess what you're going to yes. say? You're going to tell me your rival. That's absolutely correct, Dennis Villeneuve. Yes, I knew, I knew look, you'd say that. when we well, look at Avatar and we look at uh, yeah, the Hurt Locker, look, it's a great directorial with those uh, obelisks. Floating in the thing with the, the very, yeah, very well. I mean, movie. this very was well a movie directed. that not only was visually tremendous and brilliant in the way you, the way he provoking. set it up, it looked real authentic. It was also stylish. Uh, it had some of yes, this film noir feel to it. And to create those obelisks like you were talking about, I mean, the whole thing looked just like authentically real. It's hard to pull off a movie like that. And so I give it technical credit. Uh, for performances, for getting the best out of Amy Adams, who did get snubbed, um, etc. But I think Arrival and Dennis Villeneuve should probably win the best directing, but I think you're right, Damien Chazelle probably win it. Yeah, well, did you like the director, talk about snubs, the, du- the director of Lion didn't get, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't get nominated, correct? So How do you I mean, explain Mel kid- Gibson's getting into this? Do you think he did that great of a job know. to get in? I don't know, I don't even think it was that great of a directorial job, I mean... Certainly not the first half. I mean, you could like if you're giving it to him. It's certainly for the second half of those action sequences, those battle scenes that were filmed. You know, but I don't think that I don't think he forget about again. Forget about the controversy with him. Although uh, I mean, strictly on the movie, I don't think that's the best directorial. Uh, I, I I put I put Lion in there before I put in uh, for directing before I put in Hacksaw Ridge for directing. And and last thing, Neil, why don't why aren't you on Twitter? 
I am on Twitter. But no, you're I, not. Because every time I look well, for I, you on, on my Twitter, I can't find I you. I tweet on the Talking Pictures site, which is Talking Picks OD. That's where I tweet on. I do have a personal Twitter account, what but I don't really use it that much. I kind of tweet on Talking Picks OD because I try to promote the show. Okay, well, but so if, if, if somebody if wanted to get in touch with you via the, Twitter, what would what, what, what's your handle? Capital T-A-L-K-I-N-G, Talking, capital P, small case, I-X. And capital O, capital B, talking picks OD. Okay, well, there you uh, go. If you want to bash Neil on his uh, criticisms once in a while, (laughs) now you you know where. If you want to talk to me, I have at Neil Rose. My my personal Twitter handle, which I rarely use, is at Neil Rose and Apples. So uh, if you want to do that, you you can. All right, Neil, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Before you go, you want my my predictions in in the six major categories really quickly in 30 seconds? 30 seconds. Go for it. Okay. Best picture was Wild Land, as I said. Best director is Damien Chazelle. Best actor is going to be Casey Affleck. Best actress is going to be Emma Stone. Best supporting actress is going to be Viola Davis. Best supporting actor is going to be, uh, how do you pronounce his name for Moonlight? Mahershala Ali. That's it. That, those are my predictions. Who's going to win? The you know what? I, I, I can't disagree. I can't disagree <laughs> with you. I think those are all on the money. All right, Neil. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Jack. Speak to you soon. Bye. Trump this week signed two executive orders to immediately build the wall on the Mexican border and deport many illegal immigrants, plus cut grants on sanctuary cities like New York. To give us the pros and cons and the financial and social impact that this will have on the U.S., we bring in Laura Meckler, reporter of the Wall Street Journal, who wrote about this very topic this week. Hi, Laura. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me. This Trump versus Mexico novella has precipitated rather quickly. This whole week, if you thought that the story was just going to end there, it just keeps evolving like an avalanche. Both presidents now have said that they will not be meeting each other for now. What are you hearing? That's what's happening. They're not. They have both canceled, officially canceled the meeting. Um, now, this was not all that surprising. If you look at what was happening on Wednesday, the when the day that um, President Trump uh, put out his executive orders, which are, you know, quite quite hostile to, to Mexico, building the wall. He again said that Mexico is going to pay for it, something that Mexico says it isn't going to pay for. And there's tremendous pressure on the president of Mexico to cancel the visit, basically saying his people in his circles are saying, you can't go there, you can't talk to this guy. He's already insulting us. But as of yesterday, he was still just sort of considering his <laughs> options, had not, had not in fact canceled. And then I think the, the most amazing thing, you know, in, when you uh, are in Washington, you sort of wake up every morning looking to see what Donald Trump might have tw- tweeted. And this morning he tweeted and said, if, if Mexico is unable, un, I'm sorry, if Mexico is unwilling to pay for the badly needed wall, then it would be better to cancel the upcoming meeting. But so he goal. basically was, he was basically daring him yeah. to come. He was basically saying, you know, um, go ahead and make my day because at that point he had no the Mexican president had no choice but to cancel because he said straight up I'm not going to pay for the wall. But the gall of Donald Trump to have the foreign minister at the White House and say this and tweet this out was just asking for a feud, and now this has to be seen as a legitimate feud. And I want to ask you, can can will the U.S. be affected negatively by this rivalry? 
You know, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, uh, of course, Trump would say the U.S. is going to be affected positively. And he'd point out to a car company that has, you know, moved some jobs back to this country, you know, based essentially on his pressure tactics alone. Um, but, you know, Mexico is has long been a close ally of the U.S. It's obviously we share a huge border, a 2,000 mile border with Mexico. And we actually need Mexico's help in terms of um, dealing with illegal immigration, particularly people who are traveling traveling um, from Central America through Mexico right. and then showing up on our border. And they're not so much evading border border patrol. They're actually turning themselves in and saying, I want asylum in the U.S. <laughs> and that that's a complicated system um, that, you know, Trump says he's going to try to crack down on. You know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But most what most experts say, the real way to stem this problem is to get Mexico to help them exactly. preventing them from coming in the first place. So they're... And, that policy gets complicated, but essentially we really do need Mexico's help with a variety of things. So now we have a relationship that's been antagonized on several fronts. You have, you know, President Trump saying that we want to renegotiate or pull out of NAFTA. We have him saying that... Um, jobs that the Mexico was counting on were essentially not going to be staying in, in that country. He wants to bring them back here. And now now this tensions over immigration. So, you know, there's just quite a bit there. Why, why is Donald Trump so obsessed with this wall? It's, it's going to cost about five to $10 billion. Um, we saw a chart recently that it's highlighted in your article from the Homeland Security that Mexican immigration has declined in the last 16 years from 1.6 million into the 400,000, which means that this is not a top priority. Right. Well, here's a few things to know. Um, one, he it's going to be more than five to ten billion today. In um, at their retreat in Philadelphia, House Republican leaders said that they were planning on ten to fifteen billion dollars. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, twelve to twelve to fifteen billion, and that some people say that wouldn't even be enough. Who nobody knows how much this thing would actually cost. Um, so that's that's our starting point. Um, and also a lot of experts say this is actually not the best way for a variety of reasons to even secure the border. So you've got that piece. Then you have the piece that, yes, illegal immigration has fallen, and you have the part that a lot of the people, almost half of the people who are crossing are these Central Americans who are not trying to evade the border security at all. They're just literally showing up and turning themselves in. So... All of that put together, you might say, mm, this doesn't seem like a great argument for a wall. However, keep in mind that this was a huge part of his campaign. He built his campaign on this idea. He had crowds shouting, uh, chanting, you know, build the wall, build the wall. This has become a symbol for the idea that we need secure borders and that we need that um, foreigners are, you know, un posing unfair competition for American jobs and that he's going to put American workers first. Now, that's the big picture that he's doing, and the wall has come to symbolize that. So he essentially has to pursue and try to go um, – go forward with it. Now, the question is, how far does he get? And is it really a wall or is it a fence? Is it really end-to-end? -end? There were already in, um, in in the executive order, there were already indications that, well, it could be, some of it could be done with technology. So, you know, we'll have to see what this really looks like at the end of the day. Bill de Blasio has been on the uh, TV rounds. He did MSNBC uh, yesterday, did CNN this morning. And this is really about the topic of sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. Do you think that part of these executive orders will ultimately affect uh, cities like New York and L.A.? Uh, yeah, potentially. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, sanctuary city is sort of a, a general term that doesn't um, necessarily 
mean anything in and of itself, but there are a variety of cities that are to varying degrees declining to cooperate with federal immigration authorities. And, the, and the I don't city, blame them. <laughs> and the, okay. And the mayors are, well, I mean, it depends, you know, if you had a, a, somebody who was released from jail, who had been in, it just served a sentence for murder, say, let's just use an extreme example. You know, I don't think a lot of people would say, yeah, we shouldn't deport that person if they were here Agreed. illegally. This is, so, okay. So then you got on the other end of this, of the, of the spectrum, you know, broken taillight, you know, does that deserve, you know, should someone be targeted for turned over to deportation authorities for that? You know, a lot of people would say no, but there's a lot of gray area in between those two. Now, of course, Trump's order demands that um, people be um, turned, that the, his priorities for deportation are going to include not just people convicted of crimes, of he said any criminal conviction, but also people charged with, with crimes who have not already been essentially adjudicated um, and found not guilty. So essentially, if you've just been charged with a crime or anybody who an immigration officer views as a public safety risk, which essentially could mean, I guess, just about anybody, depending on who you're talking about, who, what kind of agent we're talking about. So he has a very broad set of priorities. What will he demand of the cities? Like, what will he actually demand in terms of them turning people over, holding them in jail after they no longer um, are serving their their time locally? I mean, these are the questions we don't really know. And then the question becomes, what can he do to punish them? What he says is he's going to do is withhold federal grant money. Well, there's the law is complicated as to how much he can actually withhold. It has to be related, the grant has to be related to the condition that you're putting on to the grant. So personally, I see this whole thing headed to a lawsuit. Um, we're going to have Bill right. de Blasio and Rahm Emanuel, um, Eric Garcetti versus Donald Trump. And I don't think there's much else that those mayors would rather do than sue Donald Trump in court over immigration from their point of view, their political point of view. It's a total win. And I think that Trump will enjoy it as well. So we'll ha they all just seem to be spoiling for a fight over this question. So we'll see how it resolves. Laura Meckler, reporter of the Wall Street Journal. Great conversation. Thank you very much for the insight. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. For many Latinos who followed the Oscars, there was a glaring omission at this week's Academy nominations. Latinos were nowhere to be seen in acting categories. Why is that? My good friend Tara McNamara, film critic and film contributor to CBS's The Insider, Entertainment Tonight, and NBC's Today Show, is here to help me exactly answer how we change that. Tara, thanks for coming on. How are you? The other day, I tweeted out um, the following. It said, if anyone is outraged at the absence of Latinos at the Oscars, don't be. Latinos didn't make or act in films worthy of this year to be nominated. You responded, do you think there's an institutional racism in that roles were unavailable like Oscar so white year? And I said, you know mm -hmm. what? That's a podcast conversation, and here we are <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> what, what do you think it is from your perspective? You live in L.A., you, you cover this a lot. Is this institutional racism? Yeah, I, I, I think to some degree it is. I mean, when you look at, you know, it, it, I think that there's so many factors that it's hard to speak about it generally because you have to you have to get in. So one, you know, Hollywood is no longer making films for just North America, right? Like they're they're more focused internationally. Now, it, you know, in the last 10 years, it's become apparent that more money is made overseas 
than in North America. That wasn't the case before, right? It used to be that the box office receipts were biggest domestically, but that's that's no longer the case. And so Hollywood has kind of had a a wake up call about it, and they I feel like they've been working toward it, but I think they got started too late. And now they're they're playing catch up because it's not that Hollywood isn't aware that this is a problem. They know it's a problem. And so when you start looking at the reasons why, you know, I think it starts from the beginning. You they want a star. They feel they have to have a movie star to go and talk about the movie or or you won't know about the movie and you won't go see it because you're not aware of it. So they need someone with celebrity to go out and go on all the talk shows and get the magazine covers. And so they need someone who's already a star. So they have to start grooming these celebrities, right? They have to start making their own. And and I think it kind of starts from, from that point of view. Um, but I, I, I feel like it's also because when you look at, you know, they've done some studies in the last couple of years, and they found that it is, you know, that, that I think it's like 94% of film executives are white, Uh Without question, the majority of directors are white, mostly white males. Uh, I think almost all of the studio heads are white males. <laughs> you know, nearly all of them are. And so it becomes that point of view, too, of, you know, when they're getting stories that are, that are, there's a lack of awareness of someone else, right? So if, you, if you're a white male and you get these scripts about white males, instead of thinking, well, this is another script about a white male, then it's, it, it, there's not, there's maybe nothing registering in their brain of, hey, maybe we should, you know, get more Asians, or maybe we need. There's no, there's not a single Hispanic in this script, or and perhaps they're just not looking at that. But what do you think? Hispanic movies in the United States are still considered foreign, like Latin American films, Spanish language films done by Argentinians, Mexicans, and everything. And there's a dire situation that we're going through. There's not enough roles for Hispanics. There's not enough characters about Hispanics. There's not enough stories about Hispanics. And then when you do do one, it doesn't do well at the box office because I think that most people think that Hispanics don't go watch Hispanic films. What are your opinions of some of the options or some of the things that need to be done in Hollywood? Well, I listen, I think that the problem... I, I will tell you how we resolve this problem. I mean, it's pretty simple, <laughs> which is, you know, it starts with outrage, right? And and I think the reason that we have so many films with um, African-American characters this year that were nominated for the Oscars is because, you know, part of it is that we had such a, a backlash that people greenlit more movies. And, you know, when you have people like Brad Pitt or Pharrell who are, um, you know, who are talking to the studios and saying, let's make this movie, that can be something, I mean, that can push it over the edge. I mean, I feel like Moonlight is a movie that it's almost, it feels like a miracle that it got made. You know, this, like the idea of, it doesn't look like a profitable film. You know what I mean? From the artsiness to the story, it just isn't like a block, doesn't scream blockbuster. And I would think a studio would look at it and go, yeah, I don't, I don't see this making money. But you have Brad Pitt champion in it. Now you're, now they're listening and now they know they have, uh, a black problem, right? And that it, that they've been kind of called out and and uh, for for not having enough uh, people of color. So they're like, okay, let's green light green light this. Let's see where it goes. And you know, of course, it's a smashing success. So it starts with outrage, and then the second era in making them know that you know that it's a problem. And then second of all, when those films are released, 
<laughs> people in those uh, groups need to go see the movie. We have to make them a success. So, like, you know, Good luck I mean, with this, that, Tara. Well, I was going to say, you know, Book of Life, right? I mean, Book of Life. Here, we we wrote an article together a couple of years ago when Book of Life came out that there were so few um, family films that were uh, that were that were that had uh, Latino characters in it and and had that kind of point of view or perspective. But, you know, Book of Life comes out, and here it, it kind of checks all the boxes, right? It basically made $100 million. It made $99.8 million, and the director's oh. still trying to find his next project. We, you, you've got to support the film. George Lopez and Spare Parts. That is a good, solid family film, and nobody went to see it. Um, and, and, and maybe it's that it didn't get the push, maybe it didn't get celebrity, but my point is, is that when... If you care about seeing more, you know, if, 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 if we care about seeing different races on the screen, if we want to see, if we want to see more brown people or more black people or more, you know, Asians or Indians, then we need to, and Native Americans, we need to show up, right, when these films are released. I totally agree with you. It's a very good point about the outrage uh, factor that really galvanizes a movement or a conversation nationally. Um, it's just that I don't think we have the actors that are loud enough. And let me tell you where that comes from. And it's just my opinion. I think okay. most actors or, or Latino actors that are born in Latin America, when they come here, they feel like a fish out of water. They feel like they don't have a voice. They feel like they're lucky and fortunate that they're even going to auditions, that they're being considered for a role. That to them is a, is a sense of triumph and achievement. Then you have U.S. Hispanics that are here. And mostly U.S. Hispanic actors have very secondary roles. Like Jay Hernandez is a guy that could have been much more. I feel like Michael Pena is one of our best actors, U.S. Hispanic actors. He was in Ant-Man. He was in Ant-Man. I mean, this is a guy that should be having lead roles. And I think Hispanics just want to be a part of the blockbusters. They want to be a part, a co-star, like Gina Rodriguez in Deepwater Horizon, even though she got a very small part. It's just so difficult. And that's why, folks, we don't see Latinos at the Oscars, except maybe in a technical field. But acting, it's going to be probably a generation before we see that. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, I think when we're having this conversation, it's not just Latino. It's, you know, it, it's it, it's uh, it's a multicultural issue. I think that, like, as far as, as I feel that as populations go, we go see films based on story and not... It, not eth- not not because of the ethnicity. You know, for instance, like in Deadpool, uh, which I, I really hoped was, I mean, I knew it was probably not because they just don't go for these kind of comedies Superhero or raunchy film. comedies. Yeah, yeah. The Academy is just not about that. But I was like, oh, come on. It's if there a raunchy R comedy. Right? It would have been too much of a stretch. <laughs> but, and, and so, of course, Ryan Reynolds, as white of a guy as it gets, is, you know, is the one we're all talking about. But, um, you know, his lead co-star, and I don't want to try and say her name because it's Brazilian and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm going to let you say her name. Wait, who are we because talking about? Marina Baccarin? See, I said it wrong. <laughs> what movie are we talking about? <laughs> Which film are we talking about? I was about? hoping you were going to jump in there and just say it because I, yeah, because I'm as white as it gets, you know? Like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, the point is that she did, you know, she was great in that film. Um, and she's Brazilian descent. And I think part of it is that sometimes we don't see people. I don't think we see people 
through their ethnicity. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people, Selena Gomez and uh, Vanessa Hudgens, you know, Vin Diesel, so he identifies the rock. as the rock. Yeah. I mean, these are people whose, whose makeup is so, such a combination. You know, we don't, we don't know what they are. <laughs> we don't and care because what it's they so are. Complicated, it 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 it's it's better if we don't even talk or, or or bring up the conversation because I think a lot of people will feel like idiots if they bring it up. So absolutely, I mean, it happens with me. I'm a guy that walks on the Today Show, and I'm supposed to be quote unquote getting Latino stories on the Today Show. That's what I'm supposed to be talking about. But mm-hmm. I don't talk about Latino stories, and no one ever mentions anything Hispanic or Latino to me because I think I fall into that bracket of this multicultural, ambiguous guy. We know you're multicultural, but we have no clue where you're from. You kind of really throw us off. So I think like the Jennifer Lopez's of the world really do a good job in in doing that. But what's the next generation? I think my follow-up question to you, Tara, is I understand that Outrages was going to get the conversation going, but why not? Why not have Hollywood groom the next generation of actors? And why don't Latinos fit into that? Wouldn't it be easy to take Diego Luna now, now that he did Star Wars Rogue One, and convert him into a big, huge superstar? I mean, yes, and I think that there. I think that the Star Wars, as opposed to the Marvel franchise or the Disney princesses. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think Star Wars does have a few actors of, um, you know, uh, I think they are trying to be more diverse. And I think, and, and part of that is their story, right, of that these are interplanetary characters. So they are more conscious and aware of putting people of different ethnicities and color on the screen because they're trying to show you know, they're also putting someone who's like purple, you know, and has three that, that's eyes. That's a good point. Yeah, like right? Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're more aware of that. It's so bizarre when we're when we're going out to the universe. Now let's stick some Hispanics in there. Now let's put some Asians in. You know, but what we really have to do is, you know, is you're right. I think it's got to start with grooming young actors of color. And 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 again, this is how it works. How do how do somebody doesn't usually get cast as a lead as. Uh, the boy did in the Jungle Book, right? So this kid has a real opportunity to grow up and uh, become, a, you know, become this big leading star and be of Indian American descent. And but um, but most of the time they get they start in under five roles and then go to supporting roles and work their way up to lead actor. And so we have to, you know, support them, right? So if you're Taylor Lautner, who is of Native American descent. Right. Then and he gets this, you know, he's on Tiger Beat <laughs> and people love him. Mm-hmm. He has a real opportunity. You know, now here's here is an actor who has a following, who has stardom, who you can cast as a lead actor and will go on these shows and talk about your film. And so that's what we have to do. But he, you know, he started he's you know, he started in smaller roles and commercials and worked his way up. I mean, as a child. And and that's a whole other conversation about starting as a child. But um but, you know, that, that is the way that we have to do it. And when you see someone, you have to support them. But, you know, it's still, it's, it's just sort of interesting. Like, now we always go to black, and we don't even, we kind of skip other ethnicities, you know, and especially Latino that's, you know, that, that is becoming ethnicity in America that is now, you know, about to overtake the population. If it hasn't already, you tell me. Here's the 
the people that I think have a really good chance of breaking through the uh, wall of what Hollywood has put with Latinos. Edgar Ramirez, I think, has a really good shot at becoming an A-list actor. Gina Rodriguez has a lot of potential to become a great female actor, maybe the next Jennifer Lopez uh, leading Latina actress. Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think he's one of the few guys that can make the jump from stage to film and be supported by the Hollywood crowd that watched Hamilton and make him into a star. So those are the, like the key three people that I think have a lot of potential if supported, if groomed by the studios to finally crack down on this whole issue of Latinos not having a place in Hollywood. Like you said, we need the support. So let's see. Tara McNamara, film critic on uh, The Insider, Today Show, Entertainment Tonight. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast, girl. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this 18th episode of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Neil Rosen, Laura Meckler, and Tara McNamara for joining me on the show. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any feedback, reach me on Twitter at Official. Also, please subscribe and leave a review. We're now on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher for you Android users. See you again next Friday on another episode of Highly Relevant. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.